0: Are listening to the Slash and Cast Podcast Network. Enjoy the show.
1: (laughs) Hey folks, Justin here with a quick word before we dive into this episode. First off If you have not listened to Seven Sisters, be it The Cauldron and the Cross, the self-titled debut, or the recently released Shadow of a Fallen Star, pause this and come back you will not regret it and secondly this chat with kyle could have lasted for two hours or more but unfortunately we were both experiencing some technical difficulties there is some buzzing that appears in some of kyle's audio near the end and i've done my best to doctor it up for your listening pleasure this chat was conducted by nicholas and myself and without further ado here you go First of all, Nick can attest here. I've been telling every fucking body I know to listen to Shadow of a Fallen Star. I listen to it every day. Yeah, it's just great. So I guess just to get started here, man, take us back in time. You know, you're a little kid. What are you into? Are you doing a lot of reading. You're watching movies. What gets you going?
3: Well, I guess I was always kind of around music because of my parents. My mom always had things like the Beastie Boys and some Pink Floyd in there as well. They're, you know, my mom's my parents, were, both of my parents are quite young. They had me when they were like 18 years old. So back in 1992, big on the grunge thing. Yeah, I grew up, a, kind of grew up around that, like earliest memories of music and things. And I was always into art as well. My mom is an artist, so I was drawing and all that kind of stuff. To my teenage years, I developed more into Warhammer and fantasy culture and things like that. And then, then I started playing guitar. And my music taste, my own music taste developed with my guitar playing. Like the first band that I really, really got into, I think I bought the American Idiot album when it came out. One of my friends told me that it was a really cool album. So it was like, oh, that was the first album that I ever bought with my own money. And then I got really obsessed. I sort of went back then, which I kind of do with all the bands now. started with that obsession of like discovering a band and it's like, right, cool. Where did they start? I'm going right back to the very beginning. So I sort of did that straight away. Um, yeah, and it developed... My dad's a metalhead, so he was always showing me Anthrax, and he was around, you know, and discovering all of the, the now classic thrash metal bands when they were coming out. You know, one of his favorite bands when he was younger was Testament and Anthrax, and nuclear assault bands like that. So I got into all that as well. I had a, a real thrash metal phase for a while where i listened to nothing but thrash
1: metal. So you had a nice little mix from both parents? Yeah, always very musical and very artistic.
3: But yeah, I sort of discovered... A lot of things on my own once i started playing guitar and it's kind of weird like my music tastes as it developed as my music tastes developed my guitar playing also developed alongside with it you know learning new <laughs> techniques from listening to new kinds of music and things like that
1: what age did you pick up the guitar again i may have missed you singing it i was 11 years
3: old i think just before i turned 12 years old it's quite a pivotal point in life, i suppose you know it's a it's a strong moment of making decisions which affect the rest of your life you hear a lot of people picking things up
2: at that age. Was there any creative endeavor you were leaning toward before you picked up guitar? Like were you thinking about be- becoming a visual artist or a writer or anything? Or was was guitar the first creative thing you really wanted to do?
3: Thinking back on it now, I think I might have always been creatively inclined. I always liked to draw. One of the first jobs that I really remember dreaming about doing was perhaps drawing for games workshop, you know, doing the concept. Art, oh, yeah. That kind of stuff, you know, obviously. That never worked out. I actually recently started drawing again. I hadn't done anything for well over a decade. So I thought it was about time that I picked up pen again and started drawing. I think so. I was always really into science at school. Well. I think there's more than one way to be creative. It doesn't have to be in the arts necessarily. I think it was more just creative thinking. Space really interested me. So I think it's that sort of, I've always been dabbling in things that have, that just seem, well, that captured my imagination, really, you know, just like anybody does. But yeah, guitar was the first time it became super focused.
1: And I'm sure we'll eventually get to this, Kyle. You mentioned in a previous interview, I saw that the inspiration for The Cauldron and the Cross was a novel called The Mist of Avalon. So I'm curious to who some of your favorite authors are. A
3: lot of mine are sci-fi authors. I got turned onto that book by Graham, the other guitar player. He's more of a, a reader than I am. He's actually currently studying a master's on Tolkien at the moment. Oh, shit. Oh, shit. (laughs) It's his second master's degree as well. His first one is in geography, of all things. Yeah, he's much more of a reader than I am, to be fair. A lot of my favorites are old sci-fi ones. You know, sort of usual ones, Alfred Bester and all that kind of stuff. Stars My Destination is probably one of my favorite books. There's a lot of fantasy stuff as well, the usual fantasy stuff. Tolkien, obviously, being a big one, a big part of that. Mm. Kind of hard to avoid Tolkien, really, just be <laughs> the heavy metal and that sort of fantasy culture anyway. A lot of it stems from that, so.
1: Right. And you're in the UK. Well, you grew up in the UK, so you definitely can't get away from it especially where i'm
3: from so i'm from a county called lancashire and the town's <laughs> called burton
1: and the hills and you know
3: that kind of countryside area it's very much like the shire well, i mean literally you know like shire. so it's kind of nice to have i guess the point a lot of uh, you know when a lot of what tolkien talked about with his inspiration for the lord of the rings setting in middle earth was you know where he grew up and his mm. inspiration that he drew from the countryside so it's nice to kind of have that there when you're growing up and discovering these books and
1: then you look around and it's like oh yeah Yeah, it's pretty cool, actually. Shout out to Graham. Now, is that a geography master's in Middle Earth geography?
3: Uh, No. Yeah, you should see his collection of books that he has just related to Tolkien. And like all of the papers that he's read, all studies of Middle Earth and everything. He's got books just about plants and Middle Earth.
1: Wow, that is insane. Very cool, though. So what sparked the move to Spain initially? My partner. She's from here. She's from this region, Murcia,
3: which is where we are. We tried to live in England for a little bit, but I think it was like a combination of everything happening at once. You know, the pandemic. And then also Brexit is a huge part of this. And just the UK, it just isn't a very nice place to be right now for people that might be a little more left leaning, especially music as well, live music and sort of washed his hands of all responsibility. And this just doesn't feel like a very welcoming place to be right now. So, you know, we can have a nice quality of life out here. And it costs considerably less than it does to live in the UK.
1: So that's always a plus. Yeah, for real. See what happens. I don't think we're going to stay here forever, but now it's nice. Your first band was a thrash band, correct? That's right. Yeah. Yeah. So is that still active? Are you still have any interest in continuing it or how? What's the status on that? That ended a long
3: time ago. It was a really good learning point, actually, you know, it was it was my first band. I'd been in bands before that, but there were always like, you know, friends of my dad that needed a bit ba- that he needed a bass player. Generally, oh, well, cow can play guitar. Maybe you he can help out on the bass. And that was really good for me, sort of learning how to operate in a band, watching adults do it while I was a young teenager and watching them figure things out and also playing gigs from a very, very young age. It helped me a lot when it came to time for me to start my own thing. And yeah, Scythia, fucking terrible name. That was my first experiment at my own band, you know, and we were just a real municipal waste ripoff kind of. And it was great fun. We managed to play gigs out of town, which isn't saying much when you're from the north of England. It just stopped. I think it was just before college. So we were just about to start leaving and going to different places in the country and all that kind of stuff and it just never really worked out
1: what are your memories when you think back to the first time you played live Was did it go off without a hiccup did your pants fall down what happened
3: my string broke on the very first <laughs> song oh no yeah it wasn't even it was my low e it wasn't even yeah. the top so yeah the very first moment i had on stage my fucking string broke. <laughs> I was devastated because, you know, I'd saved up work, two jobs. I worked in a bakery washing up and doing like a paper round and I'd saved up all my birthday and Christmas money, got myself a Gibson Explorer, which I still have to this day. It was my main guitar for years. And it was like, yes, first gig, Gibson Explorer, fucking coolest guitar ever. And then string fucking broke and I had to borrow somebody else's guitar and it was totally out of tune. And, you know, I was panicking. So... I didn't even think to tune it up. It was just horrifically out of tune. And then we then proceeded to play some eight-minute thrash epic, which had like a clean breakdown in a minute. Oh, man, it was fucking
1: painful. <laughs> oh, that's hilarious.
3: It's only up from there. It can't get any worse.
1: The trial by fire, definitely. So when it comes to Seven Sisters specifically, how did you guys meet up and get things started? Well, Graham and I met quite a few years
3: ago now, back when I was in Ascithiate, actually. I guess it all sort of started when Ascithiate met a band called Eliminator, you know, also from the UK, playing this same kind of style of heavy metal. They've they've been going for quite a while and we met them and sort of befriended them, clung on to them because they were a little bit older than us and kind of cool, so it's like, show me your ways. And then I met Graham through them because Graham studied at university in Lancaster, which is where Eliminator were based at the time, up in the north of England. He was friends with them, he would just come and watch gigs in Lancaster even while, you know, he was living back down in London at the time. We met at a house party at a show, at an Eliminator gig and then when i was auditioning for university because i studied in london he was the only person that i knew that lived in london i didn't really know him at the time but i messaged him on facebook asking if i could stay at his place you know somewhere to sleep while i did the interview for the university and then it just sort of went from there and we we always threatened for years like oh yeah we should start a band and i think it might have been you maybe two uh, two and a bit years two or three years into me living in london that we finally got our shit together and started jamming and it came together really quickly those we released the demo called the warden demo tape or whatever back in 2014 i want to say it's 2014 <laughs> and those songs that we put together it happened in a matter of weeks and then we just decided to record it in my flat i programmed the drums and played the bass and everything we've got our friend josh who sings for dark forest at the time he played guitar in witch hazel as well so it's like a real of everybody knows each other sort of thing we released it without any intentions of being a, a real band like a live band it was out i just wanted to do something cool and then it it sold out really quickly i think we sold like 150 tapes which is ridiculous Mm. considering we were an unknown band releasing just releasing
2: something on the internet and then i think after that we decided to take it a bit more seriously and well here we are so like that that traditional heavy metal sound um you you were playing thrash before that were you into that sound already or did you sort of grow into it after you started seven sisters i mentioned earlier with discovering bands and then going backwards in their catalogue.
3: I sort of did that with their influences as well. I wanted to know why bands sound the way that, I guess, discovering Metallica and Megadeth, it was just one step away from discovering all of these New Wave British Heavy Metal bands because that's what we were directly inspired. So through that, and also through befriending the Eliminator guys, Jack, the lead guitarist, he made me like a mixed CD of all of these rare and obscure, super cool New Wave of British Heavy Metal songs. You know, and it, it always, I always found more affinity with that style of music than I did thrash metal because it just had more room to me anyway. It seemed like it had more room for melody and a bit more exploration. Some bands have slightly more progressive edges to them as well and the guitar work was always really cool it just made sense all of us with the original lineup of seven sisters you know steve the drummer he'd always been in extreme metal bands graham has been in a slew of like black metal bands and folk metal bands and all sorts of shit you know like- <laughs> hard stuff and then you know me being in like a thrash metal band we, we'd all played in extreme metal and but we all really liked this style of music this classic metal stuff the first time any of us have been in a band where it was like oh yeah we all like this style of music and we we're actually really invested in it i have discovered more since being in seven sisters because i kind of feel you kind of feel like there's a responsibility to know what's going on in your scene, particularly who your contemporaries are. You know, I almost every day I go on the new wave of traditional heavy metal full albums, YouTube, and I just see what's been released and I'll listen to it. And, you know, Most of the time it's 30 seconds or a minute and it's like, oh, that's kind of shit. And then move on. (laughs) But every now and then you discover something really, really fucking cool. I've always felt like there was a responsibility. When you become part of a scene, you need to know what's going on. and But also looking backwards. People are always showing me new stuff that I've never heard of before. Really bizarre, obscure stuff. But it's still cool.
2: That's what I love about heavy metal. It's just a
3: bottomless well,
2: backwards and forwards.
3: Yeah, it's just there's no there's not enough time to listen to it all, you know. Which kind of makes me sad about music is that I know that there's just no time to listen to everything that's getting released because there's more and more every day. Like Bandcamp is incredible, (laughs) but it kind of gives me anxiety as well because you see how how much music is being released on a daily basis. It's like shit. I'm never going to be able to hear like even a fraction of this.
2: I have forty Bandcamp tabs open from last week right now. So <laughs> <laughs> starting from
1: you guys early stuff, then you finally get to the cauldron in the cross. You said that I was a lot more progressive than your other stuff. Now I'd say that shadow of a fallen star is even more so progressive than that one. Is it fair to say that the cauldron in the cross was more, you guys coming into your own sound shadows is the continuation
3: yeah, I think that's a pretty spot on sort of description, really. I always joked with the guys when we started out that, you know, eventually I would turn Seven Sisters into a prog band and they just wouldn't <laughs> realize. So we had the slow, steady period. I guess part me being massively into prog and prog rock and all that kind of stuff, but also coming from a musician's point of view, wanting to push yourself, never really wanting to settle on one particular style or well, one sound. Obviously, we're, we're within a style, but it's more just about wanting to entertain ourselves with doing something that we liked. So yeah, I mean Cauldron the Cross felt like we'd become Seven Sisters. First album, the self-titled album, is very much within that revivalist new wave of traditional heavy metal thing, which is cool and it's got plenty of good points. There are moments in that album that sort of nod towards what was coming later. You know, maybe the title track, Seven Sisters, like the clean guitars and the more slightly odd time signatures and stuff like that. So Cauldron the Cross felt more like it was when you were listening to it and you probably recognized that it was us and now this third album it's like yeah this is what we've always intended to sound like. It just took us a little while to get there.
1: When you guys are going to build a song, how does that usually start? I know each process is usually different, but typically, would you just start with a riff and then go from there?
3: Yeah, pretty much all of the writing, uh, like 99% of it. And yeah, it it either starts with a melody of some sort, like a melody, a vocal melody, or a a guitar melody. Even a lot of our songs start when I think of the guitar harmony. And then just sort of taking it from there. On the new record, Shadow of a Fallen Star, I really wanted to make a point of all of the choruses needed to be the high point of the song in some of our earliest albums some of the songs don't really even have a chorus you know it's just a kind of a collection of ideas but i wanted to make a point of of having that just because it's not something that I aimed for before you know in my own writing so i'd come up with ideas and i'd categorize them you know okay that's a riff if you look on my phone on all the audio notes this is like a, a guitar melody one guitar melody, groovy or whatever, chorus ideas and then bridge ideas or whatever, I would make sure that the chorus is often, you know, in this in this album's case, the, mo- the simplest part of the song. It's just chords and the vocal melody is the vocal point. And then everything else would sort of build backwards from there. So I'd get a chorus, I'd maybe get an intro, and then I'd just fill the gaps and I'd make sure that it made sense. It'd build up to the biggest point, and that'd be the focal point. Like I say, often the most simple part of the song as well. And then everything else, you've got time to fuck around and do the fancy shit.
1: Right. Correct me if I'm wrong, Kyle, but you also do all the mixing and mastering for everything. How did you fall into that skill set?
3: Just for this, we sent it off to Miro Rodenberg, who works at Gate Studios. He does the mastering for Avantasia. He shares that, well, I think him and Sasha Payth, the the guitarist in Avantasia, they share the space, but it was Muriel that mastered ours. But yeah, again, I guess it's a nice blend of music and science is the mixing side of things and the recording part you can get really 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 nerdy with it and I am nowhere near the level that you can be when you when you go into the nerdy side of things I don't really have the space for it you know you need a studio and stuff I recorded Shadow of a Fallen Star in my bedroom damn yeah the drums we recorded at a studio actually a guy called Tim Kramer runs a studio called signal house down in or down south Sam our drummer is good friends with him he has been for a while now yeah he wanted to specifically go there to track the drums so after he went and tracked the drums I got sent the drum stems and then everything else sitting done in my bedroom
1: just blew my fucking mind with that
2: is it is it always more of an isolated process for you um has, has that process changed during covet i mean how, how much interaction do you have with the other guys during the writing or is it all just sort of up to the recording process before they really get involved
3: i always make sure that they're up to date and they can get involved at any point generally the way it goes is i'll get an idea i'll demo it up to a point where it's quite a realized demo, you know, it's got everything on there, drums, bass, guitars, all that kind of stuff. Send it to them, but I'll keep them updated as it's going along and ask them, like, what do you think about this? Or Maybe we could try going somewhere else for this section and get their input. They're they're pretty accommodating. Most of the time it's like, yeah, yeah, that sounds really cool, which is nice, but it's like maybe, you know, need some other information. (laughs) Graham does before every album, will just send me like a collection of riffs that he's written in between the time, in between albums, I suppose. There's quite a long time in between Colder and The Cross and this one. I don't really want to wait that long again yeah he's i think he's got quite a collection built up for me this waiting like when i say 2 he'll just dump like hours worth of fucking riffs on yeah most of the time it's you know i'll I'll keep them updated but it's me sort of putting everything together i will just sort of roughly map out what parts that there are you know with the bass and the drums and graham kind of has the least flex amount of flexibility because obviously i write playing the guitar i will write guitar parts so like the riffs and the harmonies he, he plays those as i write them Obviously, all of his solos, he can just do whatever he wants. Jazz and Sam, you know, they get the gist of the idea and they add their own creative flair to it as well. I guess, yeah, I write the songs, but the parts themselves, the instrumentation, does have the influence of the respected instrument, instrumentalists. You know, Sam really, you know, I think it's, well, one, it's his first album that he's ever been on. The first album he's ever recorded and two it being the first album with us i think he really wanted to push it and see what he could come up with and he absolutely nailed it and gaz as well he's really inventive bass parts you know i'll give him just a little bit to work with and he'll take it and he'll just come up with something that i wouldn't think of i've got the general harmony and, and that kind of thing going on he because i think because everything he thinks about is the bass, all of his creativity into one inch and one part which is, it takes it to a middle level. Back
1: to the Cauldron and the Cross. Obviously it's a lot of Arthurian myth a clash between paganism and christians so are there any themes that are true to life that you guys are touching on in shadows of a fallen star
3: the concept for shadow of a fallen star is a story that i've kind of come up with myself being a fan of sci-fi i suppose i just had an idea that i thought would be cool for a little story but it is kind of about it's a story of self-discovery in in the most basic way of of describing it it sounds kind of lame when you put it like that but it's more a case of just it doesn't matter at what point in life you're at You always still think that you might have things figured out and then things happen and it's like, oh, okay, maybe I knew nothing at all. And you have to really question everything that you thought you believed in or that you thought things stood for and then take your own take on those things and move forward. That's ultimately what it is. There are parallels with real life, you know, with the story set around this planet called the Great Library, which is like this planet, which is its only purpose. And the people's purpose is just to collect information and distribute information. And, you know, weird dodgy things are going on in there. There's like an alien that's core of it all that's been trapped and so on and so forth. You know, obviously that is just a metaphor for like social media. It's not not have to think too deeply to draw those parallels but yeah i did want to sort of draw on some more personal feelings with the lyrics for th- this new album because the cauldron the Cross* was just based on the book we didn't chronologically cite you know the story that happens everybody most people know the story but we focused on the more philosophical points you know like an older way of life being taken over by a new way of life is it right is it wrong that kind of sort of that thing but with with the new album I wanted to maybe put a bit more emotion in there cuz it's easy to hide behind a veil of fantasy but it doesn't really connect with people in the same way that when you're talking about real shit you know that if I kind of want to do that I wanted to do that ever since touring with haunt and listening to haunt you know uh Trevor puts a lot of his where he puts all of his personal experiences into his lyrics. It's not something that I'm that I could do, you know. It's it's a bit more like a folk singer songwriter that the way that he approaches lyrics to me in in my mind. But it, I t- I wanted to take a bit of that because people really respond to his music, really respond to the lyrics. You know, you see people on the, the Facebook group, the whole fan page, and you know, so many people like connect with something that he's singing about. And I kind of I wanted to draw on a bit of that just because. It, but I don't know, music speaks to people in in a lot of different ways and it's helped me in a lot of ways so i kind of maybe you could write something that might help somebody else which would be nice
1: and i'm glad you kind of touched on the shift from fantasy because i was going to say just lyrically shadows stuff like horizon's eye and whispers in the dark have like a existential left crafty and almost feel to them
3: uh, yeah it's definitely sort of lots lots of existential crisis basically just me just going like what the fuck is going on ah <laughs> <laughs> so just before the pandemic hit the uk and everything went into lockdown. I quit my, I've worked in a guitar shop in Epsom and Camden, you know, just in surrounding London areas for like three, four years after i graduated from university, all while being in Seven Sisters. And then things started picking up with Seven Sisters and we were playing more and more shows, doing more and more tours and then the Haunt tour came along and then we had another tour lined up after Haunt with Night Demon, which was gonna last like a, a month. So I quit my job and it was like, fuck it, I'm quitting my job. I'm gonna drive for other bands. I'm gonna do some guitar tech work. I had all this work lined up and then we got home from tour and it was like literally a matter of days everything and it was like oh shit i'm back at my grandparents you know back up in in burnley i don't have any money all my shit is crammed into this little room and it was yeah it was just like basically me just being like ah
1: <laughs> how far along were you guys with the album when the whole shit hit the fan i think i'd had one the music
3: for one song written which was the artifice the artifice was the first song for that album which that was a, a big one for me because like broke a really long dry spell of not being able to write music at all after the culture in the cross. And there's just a lot of shit that was going on personally for me. And we were gigging and focusing more on that. I don't think I've written a song in like a year and a half, maybe even two years. So it was quite a big deal for me to get that out. It was like, finally, you know, a new song.
1: So 99% of that album was conceived under the pressure of COVID. Recorded
3: the acoustic EP that we did, Campfire Tales. That was basically just like, well, I've got nothing to do now, so I may as well keep myself busy. Went on to, to write the new album.
2: Shadows of the Fallen Stars is part one. Do you have plans for those future albums, or are you just leaving yourself open for the possibility?
3: The next one will be part two, 100 Okay. Yeah, we're not going to do a dream theater. <laughs> yeah, it's to release part two or whatever no the next album will be part two we wanted it the whole story to be in one album but then i started telling the story to the guys and they were like yeah there's too much shit here to fit in one album <laughs> we decided to go for the double thing which i like it's more progressive in a lot of ways you know it's kind of nerdy yeah yeah it was i'm glad that they it wasn't me that suggested that it was the guys the other guys no we were just talking about it in in facebook messenger as we do and, uh, yeah the, the ones that put the idea forward
2: and has there been any talk about any other multimedia components for that since it is such a conceptual story? Any kind of writing or art or comics or anything that could go along with
3: that? Yeah, I'm hoping really to put the story down in story form, maybe just in like mm-hmm. a novelette of some sort. If I can pull my finger out and get that done, comic would be incredible like that would be a bit of a dream of mine I'm, I'm a huge comic nerd graphic novel nerd but yeah we're currently working with a, a games designer and he's we're going to do like a tabletop rpg of of like a prequel to the song to the album sorry so the crystal temple the single that we released with haunt that is a prequel to the album the crystal temple is in the story of shadow of the fallen star so yeah we're going to do a tabletop rpg based around that and then maybe do take that forward if people are into it but it's still in the designing stages. I don't think it's going to be anything crazy, detailed, something that you can sort of get into quite quite easily. I think it's cool to do things like that. You
1: know? Yeah.
3: Yeah, absolutely.
1: Do you play tabletops yourself?
3: Yeah, here and there. I, I wouldn't say that I'm huge, Not like a, an expert at any of it. spend most of my time when I'm playing video games, which I do a lot of, playing Dungeons and Dragons-based games like Baldur's Gate, The Shadow of Arm is my favorite game of all time i absolutely love that that sort of isometric tactical dungeons and dragons based book style stuff is is totally up my street i've never had like enough friends to do actual Dungeons and dragons and, and role-playing just because in burnley where i grew up it was like <laughs> My friends, were basically, and it was like, uh, yeah, they they weren't interested in doing that. You know, they were into heavy metal and stuff, but they weren't bothered about playing D and D. You know, it's, it's that's like a
1: that's another level, really. And now you can barely separate the two. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and just from a marketing perspective, having a part one and a part two is a great idea, especially if part one kicks ass. Well, I think it's it's a, it's a double-edged sword, you know, because now we
3: have to live up to the expectation. <laughs> yeah. We've only got ourselves to blame for that. But um, <laughs> the thing is, we have ideas that would have made it onto the single album that we decided or at least I decided, that they come later in the story. So we already have bits of music written for the next one, but we've yet to actually, I've yet to start sitting down and focusing on that. I'm currently writing an album for my side project, which is this thing called Phantom Spell. It's like prog rock, retro (laughs) thing. It's just just me scratching that itch. I'm a huge fan of 70s prog, so it's just me doing that, basically. On my own, nobody else involved, no bullshit, no fucking record labels, nothing. Just (laughs) me writing music and then sticking it out on band camp and that's it. Done with it. What kind of 70s prog are you
2: drawing inspiration from there? All aspects
3: of the 70s prog stuff. But I think what we'll end up sounding most like would be bands like Uriah Heap, Camel, you know, for the instrumental stuff. Just because it's always going to kind of sound a bit heavy metal. Whenever I write stuff, it always sounds a little bit heavy metal anyway. It's not going to be pure Emerson, Lake and Palmer, mental stuff, just because I can't play that kind of stuff anyway. But it's all guitar-based music, so it's still always going to have that guitar-based edge to it. You know, it's not like... I have four or five or six other people that are all coming up with these crazy ideas and then we're just chopping them together. It's all just me drawing on a lot of other influences that I can't get away with in Seven Sisters. I just can't do just because it doesn't fit the, the the overall aesthetic of the band, which is fine. That's why I'm doing this other thing, just to, to so like I said, just to scratch that itch.
1: I love Phantom Spell, too. I've actually shown my friends that as well. My friend yeah. Jason last night said that he prefers Phantom Spell to Seven Sisters. So there's that for you. you have fans building up for that already. Cool. cool.
3: Yeah, well, I, I meant to have the album finished a long time ago, but it turns out that moving house and country can be quite a stressful thing to do. So <laughs> not quite finished yet, but we're, we're getting there. We're getting there.
1: So something I really appreciate about you guys, a lot of heavy metal bands would shy away from the acoustic thing. And I love the Campfire Tales EP. Is that a style you enjoy yourself? Or like you said, were you just trying to stay busy?
3: Yeah, no, I love that kind of stuff. I listen to a lot of country music, a lot of, a lot of folk music, a lot of bluegrass. So it's just another aspect of my musical side of things. And same goes for the other guys. Graham listens to more country than metal, I think. He listens to, you know, Hank Williams and all that kind of David Allen Cole and all that kind of stuff. Oh, country country. You're talking real country. <laughs> <laughs> In outdoor country, like actual country. Hell yeah. <laughs> yeah, we spend most of, he, he spends a lot of time doing that and so do I. Paula, my my wife, she's massively into that kind of stuff as well. So at home, when we're just listening to music, it's a lot of it is that.
2: Alongside that acoustic EP, you also did this 8-bit EP. How did that come about? That came about because,
3: well, I think, it, again, it was more of a, it stemmed out of me needing to do stuff with my time because, the pandemic had gotten rid of all my work i love video games and i'd love to write music for video games so my idea was to set up this thing wizard tower studios and use that as like a showcase for video game music and then approach designers with it it's taken a bit of a backseat recently just because of the phantom spell thing and you know a bunch of other stuff but i want to pick it back up again but yeah that's where it came from i was doing that i've released some eps with under wizard tower studios which is just kind of like a blend between chip tune and dungeon synth you know like retro video game style stuff dungeon synth you say
1: <laughs>
3: yeah. oh, yeah, oh
2: yeah. no i'm a, I'm a, i'm a i'm a massive fucking fan of dungeon synth
3: so <laughs> rabbit hole i haven't fully delved down yet just because i, I don't know i'm kind of i know that i would just get lost but i'm part of the the dungeon synth. <laughs> On Facebook
1: and there's always cool shit popping up on there. That, um... I know you mentioned Baldur's Gate, but what when you were growing up, were you still in the games? What were some of the games you were playing? Uh, Baldur's Gate. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I, I understand. I understand. Yeah, I grew up on all of the JRPGs, like '90s JRPGs, Legend of Dragoon, and all that stuff. And that's pretty much I spent. Ninety percent of my childhood on the floor playing those games.
3: I mean, Pokemon was a big one for me as well. Just I think generationally, you know, like I was I was there when Red and Blue came out, and then well, the mm-hmm. first one I got was Yellow, actually. Yeah, so Pokemon, and then a, a, a few JRPGs. I had a GameCube for quite a long time, and I had Tales of Symphonia.
1: Oh yeah, it's great game. The
3: it's the only one that I played from that series, like the Tales of series. Yeah,
1: again. Not- <laughs> Great series. Tales of Asperia is really good if you ever get a chance to play that one. So I wanted to ask, what's your favorite show that you've attended as a fan?
3: Fan? Oh, man. There's two that come to mind for different reasons, I suppose. The first one I mentioned is when Anthrax decided to get their Among the Living lineup back together. They played All About Spread the Disease, Among the Living Tunes live for the first time in years. And my dad took me to go and see them, and it was awesome. I got to see Anthrax in a, a tiny little bar in Sheffield of all places and it was just crazy like the place absolutely kicked off and then the other one for me is Tool on the 10,000 Days Tour mm. I think for totally different reasons you know you're not connected to the band at all when it's like a, a stadium of that size at the Manchester Arena it's huge but man like the show was just incredible the lights the atmosphere the sound it was just mind-blowingly good that really stuck with me like that's like the that's what you aim for when you're, you know, when you're in a band yourself and you imagine yourself on
1: stage. You want it to be that good. Speaking of great shows, you guys recently just played Keep It True. How was that? Keep It True was it was really good. We kind of needed it
3: a little bit just because it had been, well, it's been a weird year for all loads of bands, not just us. But yeah, it was like a, came about at the perfect moment just because we released Shadow of a Fallen Star. We tried to do a little bit of a UK tour. It got cancelled. Well, some of it got cancelled because, you know, I got COVID and Mm. some of the other guys as well. You know, I'd spent the entire pandemic hiding away from people because I was living with my grandma being super careful. time that i do something which could be considered reckless and it was like oh fuck it yeah of course it had to be me so yeah it was we're on a bit of a downer after that so it was nice to do that show and it's the biggest audience we've ever played in front of and it's crazy to see people and like a lot of people singing the lyrics back at us for the new album because we just played the new album from start to finish which you know is kind of a stupid thing to do it might be considered but we we just felt like well it's the new album the concept album we're just going to do it start to finish so yeah no it was it was a really cool experience actually and i just want to do more every gig could be like that because they're not <laughs>
1: yeah <laughs> yeah yeah are you guys waiting on trying to get going and schedule anything until things are a bit more clear is it kind of murky still of what's coming up for you guys we should have an announcement tomorrow
3: on monday before, but it's it's for northern europe i won't say anything yet just because it might not get announced yet. I don't know. But we are making lots of plans. I mean, we have plans to do more tours in Europe. We have plans to come, you know, a little bit closer to you guys as well, but we'll see how that goes. Fingers yeah.
1: crossed. Yeah, fingers crossed. What's the best advice you'd say you've received as a musician?
3: Best advice? It's not It's not really advice, but it's probably one of my favorite things anyone's said about the music industry as a whole. I worked with a guy called Chris Coons-Roberts. He played guitar in a band called Funeral for a Friend, sort of an emo band from the first wave. <laughs> you must have and he said to me he says you've got two choices in the music industry either way you're going to get fucked.' but your choice <laughs> you get fucked hard and fast and slowly yeah. <laughs> so that's a really apt way of putting it yeah and it's charming welsh accent one
2: question uh and i thought i knew the answer to this but after talking to you i don't know what it's going to be maiden or priest Ooh. well maiden but only because
3: seventh son of a seventh son All, all-time favorite albums but consistently for me overall i think priests are a bit more consistent but you know obviously it's an eternal debate so it's, it's yeah <laughs> glad that we have bob you know it's fine I know. absolutely yeah i prefer priests 70s era than i do mm-hmm. to the 80s stuff which you know I don't, I don't know how many people would agree with me on that. Maiden just because of Seventh Son of a Seventh Son, which is perfect heavy metal album.
1: Well, Kyle, we're not gonna keep you all afternoon here. No, it's a little bit later for you, and our connection is deteriorating, and we don't want to lose you. So it's it's been great talking to you. So before we let you go, just tell people where they can find everything. Where where should they buy the album?
3: Well, you can buy it on Bandcamp. If you search Seven Sisters Heavy Metal, we'll pop right up. We're currently out of CDs at the moment. We're getting a, a restock soon. And they'll be with us, the band, and also the record label, Cherry Red, Cherry Red Records slash, you know, Dissonance Productions. Vinyl's coming in April, hopefully, unless another plant decides to burn down and then we're all <laughs> triply fucked. So, yeah, at the moment, just online, digitally, you can find us on Bandcamp on YouTube. Everything is Seven Sisters Heavy Metal. So check us out if you've never heard it before. And thank you guys for having me. Uh, it's been a nice one. It's a good interview. To thank you. Boulders Gate and Japanese RPGs is always a good
1: one. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, sir. You have a great rest of your day, man. I'll be in touch.
0: Welcome to the night. You think you know Night Demon? Then the Night Demon Heavy Metal podcast is for you. Step into the darkness as we peel back the curtain to give you an unprecedented, all-access look into the mind and the heart of the demon. We're talking band history. all with in depth commentary by the band and the people who were there for the writing and recording process. This is a gold mine, a treasure trove of all things Night Demon. Head over to nightdemon.net or wherever you listen to podcasts.